his comment was, Larry has seen a musical or 200. This is the exact perfect song at the exact perfect moment in the show. He started out making music with his band Drumfish. He's written a musical. You may know him from his song Motion. Please welcome Lawrence France to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Very happy to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Um, you know, first question that I usually ask just to get things started. What was your first experience with music like or what made you first get into music? Wow, going way back, I it would say it'd have to be both my parents were very involved with music when I was growing up. My father was in bands when I was very young, like before five years old. And my mother worked at a radio station in Baltimore, Maryland called 98 Rock, which still exists and is still a very popular station. She doesn't work there anymore, but I grew up with her working at the radio station going in and seeing how that works in the studio there and meeting famous rock stars because they'd be at the station and working booze at festivals and things like that with her and then my father being in a band as well so they were heavily they were heavy influences on that i suppose and my mother taught me how to play piano didn't really have official formal lessons but she would just kind of sit down and show me some things and that's probably when you talk about first experiences with music, I'd say that's what, what they yeah. were. Yeah. And so having having so much, you know, experience or you know, being being exposed to all that so young, what was that, you know, radio station working booths, what was all that like and did it sort of teach you anything that you brought with you into your career? Well, it taught me a lot about sort of the music business, I'd say more than actual sort of performance or the creative side of it. But it was a lot of fun too, just being associated with a very popular radio station in Baltimore where you'd be at a booth and you know, when there's festivals and there's the 98 rock booth. And so I would be one of the people working there. And then one summer I even interned there. And so I would do simple things like if they had a contest, and people sent in entries for the contest, I'd be the person calculating all of the responses and organizing it and, and getting the results ready for them, those kind of things. Or just, hey, we need these records all categorized because it was records back then when I was growing up. Yeah. And that kind of thing. And so I did that kind of stuff. And so I just kind of learned about the music business, really. Um, and more than sort of the creative side, like I said. And you kind of learn that it's like other jobs. It seems really great. It seems glamorous in a lot of ways, but it's also just a job too. And there's a lot of negatives that come along with jobs. And just like every other job, sometimes you get frustrated and tired. And sometimes the musicians would come in and they would be, not what you would expect. I met a lot of really famous musicians doing this, and some of them off the air were not very nice. And then it'd yeah. be on the air, and it would be like a, a switch was flipped, and all of a sudden it's their public persona. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, a lot of that kind of stuff, like uh, that was really interesting, obviously, to be part of in this, yeah, city. and and see seeing that sort of like switch flip and seeing that you know maybe people in the public eye aren't always what they seem to be did that sort of make you wary or cautious at all once you kind of got into the more into the more involved in the music world i don't know about wary or cautious because i think it's just like when you meet anybody there's there's a chance that they're going to be a nice person or they're not or whatever right they're, they're just a a pool of the regular population they happen to be very famous and sometimes wealthy and all that kind of stuff but they're just people so i think what it did more was just make me 
less enamored with them as celebrities, so to speak, where you have your favorite musicians and all that kind of thing. But then when you see them and you're around them and you interact with them and you start to just see them as regular people, you don't put them on a pedestal in the same way that you might if you never had those experiences where you actually see them and meet them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and before, you know, even, even as you were young, you know, in this radio station working booths, was there anything else you might've thought you wanted to do in life? Any other uh, possible career paths you were thinking about? Well, yeah, I, like I said, I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland in the 80s, and I wanted to be the shortstop for the Baltimore Orioles. I wanted to be Cal Ripken Jr. So <laughs> that was one thing um, that wasn't music related. But yeah, uh, since very young, I wanted to be involved with music, to write music, to play music. I wanted, When I was young, I had dreams of being a rock star, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. Um, so yeah, I've wanted that my whole life. And even now, I'm, I'm through college. I'm into a career that's not involving. I tried very hard to make it music with my band Drumfish, like you said. We tried for a lot of years and got kind of close and didn't quite reach the levels we were hoping. But even though that didn't work out, I'm still very involved with music. I, most recently, I, I've been more into musical theater, like Broadway style musical theater, yeah. because of my son. He does that. And, he just started college and he's in college for musical theater. He wants to make that his career. But about six, seven years ago, he decided that this is what he wanted to do. And so I kind of threw myself into that to kind of foster his goal, foster him, his goals and help him with that. And so I sort of became a theater nerd myself. So Broadway style music has been a massive part of my life the last six, seven years. And I've written a musical, actually, full-blown, full-length musical, two hours and 15 minutes of music. It's completely sung through. No dialogue at all in the entire show. So it's 46 songs. Yeah, the, yeah. The score that's 560 pages long, I think. So I've still managed, even though the, I think the original question was, like, what did I want to do? Even though I've ended up doing other things, other jobs to make money, Music is still my passion and has been my whole life. It yeah, still and, and I did want to get into this, you know, musical that you're bringing up. Like you mentioned, it's going to be entirely sung. No, no straight dialogue, no like little right. bits between uh, songs of like just acting. What sort right. of inspired that? How How is it all coming along in production? Uh, what's, what's, give us a more like, you know, behind the scenes look at that. So I first had the idea, the first inkling of it in 2017. It was like, I'm going to write a musical. And it's kind of coincides with my son turning the musical theater and dedicating his life to that and me sort of learning it through him, you know. And I yeah. started, I heard Hamilton. That came out in about 2017. And all other shows like that and became really infatuated with myself and have become my own sort of theater nerd. And so that was kind of the idea. I was like, that's what I kind of want my next project to be. I've written a bunch of records with, with whatever you want to call them. They're they not records anymore. They were CDs for a while, whatever music compilations with my band. We had five of those and they're all out on iTunes and Spotify and all that. But I was like, my next one, I, I think I want to do this. And so I had the idea in 2017 and it kind of two songs that we have that we had in the band Drumfish were kind of the main impetus for it. One of them, the show's kind of dark. So it's, it deals okay. with very heavy subject matter, anxiety, depression, dissociative disorder, uh, suicidal tendencies, that kind of stuff. So one of the songs we had, and Drumfish was about that sort of suicide, suicidal ideation type stuff. And then there was another song in Drumfish we had. Uh, that song is called Broken. And then there's another song called I Will Carry On, which is about a song about sort of perseverance. And the two of them together was like, that could be kind of the cool basis for a musical where you go through this sort of suicidal moment 
but then you come through it and then you have this I will carry on, which is the, the song about perseverance. And that could be kind of neat. And so those are the first two songs. Um, and they're the, the, the third to last and the second to last songs in the show, actually. But it started from that. And for a bunch of years until 2020, I didn't really write too much in terms of a script or or that kind of stuff. I just kind of collected ideas. I was going through all of our old rehearsal tapes, listening through song snippets, collecting ideas like, oh, that might be something I could use. Every time I sat down at a piano or guitar, I would just record a voice memo if there was something I liked. And for three years, that's kind of what it was. I had an outline written in a spreadsheet, and that was it. And then, yeah. sorry, were you going to ask a question? No, no, no. I, I was okay. just making a comment. I'm, oh, okay. Can, you, uh, you can continue. Okay, so when the shutdown happened in 2020 is when I was like, okay, I'm stuck here in the house. I'm going to sit down and do this. And so then I sat down and just started trying to plot songs in the place and really formulating the entire story idea outside of just those two songs. And since 20, since the shutdown, since about March or April of 2020 until now, almost every day I work on the show. And yeah. for a long time in 2020, up even into 2021, it was mostly myself, though I was using material from the band, from Drumfish, a lot of material from that, um, and kind of reworking it reappropriating it and repurposing it for the show, meaning changing lyrics and things like that. But the song, the guy I write all my songs with, a guy named Alex Petty, we've been songwriters together for 30 years, if you can believe that. We met in college in 1992 and started writing together. And that's what Drumfish was, the two of us, and also other members of the band. And he, he knew I was doing it and was kind of sort of involved, but never not too emotionally involved with it until last summer and he latched on and I don't know what clicked in his brain, but it did. And ever since then, he and I have been hand in hand working on every aspect of the show. And since that time, 2020, we have a completed script. It's 83 pages long. We have a whole book for the show. We have the score. Like I said, it's 560 pages long, crazy. And now what we're doing is tracking it in the studio. And that's going to take us – we started that in February. We're not going to finish until next. It's going to be a year. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's obviously a giant project, so just props yeah. to you in the first place of doing it. But, you know, yeah. and just hearing some of these themes that are going to be present in it, you know, anxiety, depression, that a lot of audiences, a lot of fans really like uh, listening to music with those sort of authentic, real lyrics are you sort of hoping that once this musical comes out, that it sort of, you know, relates to people, maybe sparks a change of some sort? What's kind of, what goal do you see for releasing this musical? Yeah. I, yeah, definitely. And that goes for any, any creative endeavor. If someone does something creative and they put it out into the world, then you're kind of, that's exactly, that's what you're hoping for, right? You want people to connect to it. You want to share it so that you can connect with people. And you want, if it's music, you want people to listen to your music and you want them to feel something. If you're writing a book, you want people to read the book and, and get involved and feel something and, or learn something from it. And, or if you're making a movie or whatever, right? This is a musical. This is music and it's, it's a musical theater. So, yeah, that's, that's the hope. We want to finish it. We're finished it. We continue to make small tweaks to the script and, and that, but we want to finish recording it. And once we're done, once we have a good, really professionally recorded version of just all the music, we want to shop it and we want to get it performed. We want to yeah. see, we, there's local theaters. I know, I know a lot of local theaters because of my son, he's been involved in many when we know people in New York as well. And we're in the DC area. So DC, New York areas primarily. And so I'm just going to shop it. And I know he knows people in the industry. I know some. We're going to shop it with as many people as possible, see who will listen, who likes it, and see if we can get someone to perform it. And 
the however far that goes, great. If it makes it to Broadway, great. Uh, the chances of that are obviously very, very small. But any anything's possible, and so that's the way we kind of think of it. Um, and if it never ends up being anything other than just this project that we worked on for five or six years, and we love it, I'm okay with that because I I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't love it. Like I love the process and I love spending the time doing it. And if that's all it ever is and only a select few close family and friends ever hear it, okay, that's fine. Um, but I, we are going to try for more. We want to get it performed and we want people to hear it, connect to it. And if it goes viral and everyone loves it, great. The more people that connect to it, great. And because of the themes, if it helps people in that way too, people who are dealing with those kind of ideas, that's even better, right? So yeah, yeah, it's definitely, it's one thing to sort of, you know, release music or a musical or any sort of creative endeavor. And then it's a whole other thing when you start seeing it actually uh, affect people and affect their lives and, you know, make them, you know, in this case, want to keep going, not want to follow through with those thoughts. Um, yeah. Are you a music artist trying to find a way to get your music on as many streaming platforms as possible? Then check out DistroKid. DistroKid is a super user-friendly and super easy-to-use service that will make your music available in stores like Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, Amazon Music, YouTube, Snapchat, everything. Everything you could imagine is available. People will even be able to add your songs into their Instagram stories. DistroKid helps you with the distribution, monetization, and promotion of all of your music. Use the link in the description of this video for 7% off any DistroKid package you want. Pick from musician packages designed to help artists get their own music out there, or even get a label package where you can manage up to 100 artists from one profile. So that's more for like managers, labels, and you can also get the musician package that I mentioned earlier, which is more for artists, producers, things like that. It's super easy, and you can get 7% off any package right now with the link in the description of this video. So once again, if you're looking for a way to get your music on as many streaming platforms as possible, I'm talking any platform you can think of, get DistroKid and get 7% off right now with the link in the description back to the program getting the little starts of this in 2017 going through a pandemic you know the struggles of going to broadway and whatnot was there ever anything any moment that sort of made you like question the whole process of this musical or made you you know doubtful of if you should continue working on it yeah over time I've showed various people when I, like I said, I had an outline at first and it was just in a spreadsheet and it was a list of songs in one column. And then the next column was a, a quick description of what happened in that scene. And I showed some friends of mine who are writers um, and you know, gotten comments back from them. And it was just so basic at the beginning. It's like, is this really a thing? you get sort of encouraging remarks in them um, but also as it's been being developed and built and now it's just monstrous the amount of materials for this are just monstrous now when I show it to people the feedback is sort of some astonishment like wow you did all this this is crazy like how they don't know I, I started in 2017 like how yeah. Like, how did you do this? Like, do you have a job? I'm like, yeah, I have a job, but I've been doing it since 2017. And like, you know, the shutdown happened and I couldn't leave my house for four months or whatever that was. Like, so that was a big thing. And then every night and weekends I work on it. So over the course of years, it just builds up over time. But you also go through phases and you ask whether time's about doubt. So there's phases where I've, I've kind of phased out where I was, not really focusing on it every night. Um, yeah. And so that's happened a few times too, particularly the first three years because 
all I had was the outline and I was collecting material. And so that was very sporadic. But then once I started in 2020, there's been, it's been pretty steady. Um, and I'm, I'm sort of, say, unfazed by criticism. I, I appreciate criticism and I'll accept it and uh, maybe tweak the show and use the criticism and, and, uh, and, but it won't ever deter me. Like I, yeah. I want to do this. I, I want this to be done. And at the very least, I want the score to be finished. I want the recording to be finished. So I have it and I can sit down and just listen to this and enjoy it. Like I want to get to that point at least. So I'm not ever deterred from that. Although there are phases where the work is like happening a lot. And then sometimes it phases out. You know, if you go on vacation, right? I'm not doing much. And then you come back and then it takes a little while to kind of like, you know, gear everything back up. But yeah. 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 And I, I think, you know, you sort of mentioned that having negative criticism deter you. You know, obviously you accept it, you take it to try to, you know, better your product. But I right. think, you know, with, basically anything creative you have to be able to take criticism you have to have you know sort of uh tough skin um yeah yeah and so i think it's really great that you're finding that with such an ambitious project yeah thank you and i mean that's if you're i've been doing music my whole life since as a kid as i told you and been in, in ensembles and performing live and putting out records my whole life no one's not everyone's gonna like what you do I mean, who's the most popular music artist in the world right now? I, I don't know who they are. Coldplay is at the most popular rock band. And then various rappers and whoever else, and Taylor Swift, like whoever these are, they're the most popular people in the world. There are still many, many people who hate them, who can't stand yeah. their, right? So like, no matter what you do, you have, you have this podcast, you put this out and I'm sure there's people who like it. I'm sure there's people who are like, oh God, I, I hate that. You know, like, yeah, definitely. They, like you're and, never going to please see me coming back releasing episode right, after yeah. episode. Exactly. You're never going to please everybody. So, you know, you have to do what you like and take the criticism, like you said, and use it constructively, improve your product. And then the people that do like it, you latch on to them and you hope there's a lot of them. You know, you hope there's a lot of people that like it. Yeah. And, you know, so we, we touched on that, you know, musical project you're working on. I want to sort of, transition a bit more back into your you know music career with drumfish you know starting out you kind of mentioned earlier it didn't go as far as you would have wanted it to looking back was there any do you see any you know maybe missteps you made or is there any tips or advice or things to look out for you would give to other people just coming up in the music industry now yeah i think well, first of all, I think I, I'm not a good enough frontman and singer. I don't think enough people like me. The other guy that I write with, we kind of had a dual frontman thing kind of going on, like the Beatles or whoever else has yeah. like two singers. So uh, I'm just not that good. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not good enough. Where like I recognize that now and I can say it, and I'm okay with it as a performer. I, I'm not a great singer. I'm a solid, I'm a good singer. I'm a real good part singer, like singing harmonies and stuff like that. But as a lead singer, I'm not that great. So yeah, that's probably was one of the biggest issues. I think we wrote great material. I still think it's great material. I've reused some of it for the, for the show, like I said. Um, but other than that, I think we were really, really, really focused on the business of music, like trying to make connections, putting out our records, like budgeting our money and scheduling and all these things. And we would, we would do these little tours out to the Midwest and we're always very like structured. And there's a part of me that now thinks maybe we should have been less like that and more have more fun yeah it was like maybe 
that kind of came across in our performances too. And like, maybe we weren't fun enough. Like people didn't come see us and just have a blast, have fun, you know? Uh, maybe I don't know. This that's is just in retrospect. We, we we did very well. Like I said, we put out the five records or yeah. CDs or whatever compilations, whatever you want to call them now. And we did. We had a manager. We had some talks with some small record labels, and a couple of times we're considering offers with small labels, and kept never wanted it because we wanted to hold out for a bigger record deal yeah that kind of stuff so that may have been a mistake also not not agreeing to one of the small labels yeah were um, you, you kind of like you know yeah you know turning down and turning down waiting for you know the like you found the label and then you wanted to get one bigger than that one and then okay we got this offer let's get a label bigger than that one like always kind of wanting a bigger yeah. label than the last offer Right. But once you sign, you're signed. You can't just yeah. say, oh, let's go to the next one. So that's kind of why we had talks with the manager about that. Like this is there was no ever never did we sit down across a table with a label and there's contracts in place. Never to that point. But the manager right. had discussions and was discussing the options with us. Like I'm having talks with these guys about you. Would you consider them? That kind of stuff. So that's yeah. kind of to the level we got to. Um, and you know, we didn't have a gimmick either. We were just on stage playing our music, um, and sometimes gimmicks and those kind of things. That's a little, you know, a lot that turns off some people. Um, but we didn't have that either. So maybe it was just a marketing thing with us. Um, maybe, maybe we weren't good enough. That you know, yeah, yeah. all of that. So. Yeah, and you know when you kind of first started the band, how just how did you come up with the name Drumfish? Where does that come from? It's really stupid. We we started in college together. Um, <laughs> like I said, the, the main guy I write with, we met in 1992 in college, and then we asked other people to join us. We accidentally ended up living together. This is how it all started, and then we asked other people to join us. And in particular, our the drummer we've been playing with for 30 years, Aaron Bertolio, has been the third part of our triumvirate there. Our, and the three of us have all have worked together to create the music. And um, he, the three of us, there's been sort of a rotating bass player. At one point we had a violin player. But um, the three of us have always been kind of the ones to do that stuff and, and push forth the, the band. And in college, we were called Cypress Creek because the other guy, Alex, he lived in Annapolis near a creek called Cypress Creek. Yeah. We just thought it was kind of a cool name. So we did that. And then after college, we decided there were other people in the band in college. We broke off the three of us and the bass player, the four of us broke off to do our own thing and try and, you know, become rock stars and get signed and the whole thing and tour and do all the stuff. And we decided we needed another name. And I really literally think we just looked in an encyclopedia. Like, like we, we had like, encyclopedia, physical encyclopedias don't mm -hmm. exist anymore because there's the internet. Yeah. But back then, in 1996, I think it was when we graduated and and decided to do this. We had my house. There was encyclopedias, like there were actual physical copies. This is right as the internet was starting, so people still had that stuff. And so I think we just randomly pulled a book, randomly opened, and like, okay, that's cool. Let's go with that. So that was it. Yeah. And then it had the drum in it, which is musical related. And, you know, I think there were a lot of other fish sounding band names at the time, like fish, P-H-I-S-H fish. Yeah. And there was Hootie and the Blowfish and probably some other fishes. And so I don't think it was terribly original, unfortunately. So, yeah. Yeah. I and, never uh, loved the name, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, you know, 
when when you were kind of in that band working with uh those other members what uh what would you kind of do to come up with a new song to try to uh find the next thing to work on like what was that creative process like so like i said alex and i were the two that that have been writing together for 30 years and generally the way it would happen is one he or i would come up with just some snippet or something that we liked and would present to the group or to each other in some way and sometimes that snippet would be really developed in almost a full song and other times it would be hey listen to this eight measure thing i came up with these these eight chords and this one melody line or this guitar lick and then we would it would sort of develop with the band and in particular with Aaron, the drummer as well, we would develop it all together. And sometimes it would happen while we were in rehearsal where we'd be just playing and things would be happening organically and things would click and it would happen in a certain way. We'd be like, oh yes, let's do that. It would happen that way too. But I'd say primarily it happened with one of the two of us coming up with an idea and then bringing it to the group. Yeah. And, and you know, being in a band setting, sort of, like you said, having members come and go every now and then, how did, how did that affect your band, you know, having this sort of revolving door of, you know, bass players or, you know, like you mentioned, you had a violin player come in and out. What, was, what were all those changes like and what did they sort of do to the band dynamic? Well, the like all of them, there were never there was no one that we ever disliked or had issues with. It was just sort of life circumstances. The first bass player we had was a guy named Neil Richardson, who we're still good friends with, still in touch with. Uh, he lives far away now in Texas. We're in Virginia. He lives in Texas, and so we don't do much with him. But he left while we were still going hard in in the nineties. We had a couple other bass players during that until we stopped. And then there was a large gap until about 2009. We got back together. Neil did start with us again in 2009, but then stopped again. And we've had two other bass players since that time. And right now we're not playing at all. We haven't played in probably five years. Um, but at any moment, it could come back again where it sparks up and we start doing shows again. And who knows which of the bass players will end up using. Every one of them lives far away now. One lives in Pennsylvania, one lives in Florida. Neil, as I said, lives in Texas. So I don't yeah. know who, who it would even be, but they all have different styles. So that's one thing. Neil's very funky, slaps a lot. Um, James was, was one, he's very, sort of jazzy and kind of smooth and then we had another guy who's been playing with us for a lot, a lot of years the most recent bass player a guy named graham and he is very melodic so he was writing very he was kind of putting in very melodic stuff and he also sang very well the other two guys didn't sing so we had three-part harmonies as opposed to two um so that's kind of how it would change basically based on their style and um you know yeah. Graham's singing ability that kind of stuff yeah and you know so now a lot of both up-and-coming bands but also you know well-established artists and bands they're using social platforms instagram tiktok all these things to sort of promote their music grow their following what do you think about, you know, sort of social media being such a vital part of the music industry today? Uh, we embraced it very early on. We had a website in the mid 90s and that was we That's rare. That. Yeah. Yeah. In the mid when it was just starting, we're all tech nerds, too. We all all the, the, the sort of the main three of us that have been together for the 30 years. Uh, we're all have jobs in the tech industry. That's our day jobs. 
We do software development and graphic design and things like that and agile development, all this kind of stuff. And so we've been all over that stuff since day one. And now we're not really a functional band anymore. We don't have any shows. We don't rehearse. We haven't done anything in five years. We've had gaps like that before and maybe we'll get back together. But if we were, what we would just use is our personal social media sites. So our Facebook pages, Twitter, Instagram, yeah. what have you, that kind of stuff. And we do have, we do have a Facebook page that I think has, I don't know, thousands of followers on it. So yeah, that still exists. There is the Facebook page that we would, we could quickly and easily sort of revitalize and get back into action. Yeah. And I think, you know, that definitely shows having a website so early on that you really embrace change, new ways of doing things, whereas a lot of bands are trying to stick to some like old school aesthetic, you know, sort of off socials, but that also makes it harder to grow. And yeah, and well, like, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say one funny thing before social media became huge and that's really been kind of since the mid 2000s mid aughts i'd say right um in the 90s there wasn't really this stuff the way we used to promote we would at every show we would walk around with a book a mailing list and they would put their they would put their actual like physical home address their house address and they would put their email. And so every week we'd send an email with the shows we had to an entire email list that we had to constantly update because emails would go bad and things like that. And we would add yeah. the new ones as we got them. And then every month we did little postcard flyers with all of our shows for the month. And so we were spending whatever it was back then 10 or 15 cents for each postcard and we had thousands of them so we yeah, were spending that's... hundreds of dollars per month sending out physical postcards now you just put to put the posts on facebook right so and all yeah, the you, thousand you people the see on it facebook you have people sign up for a mailing list and, right you know you create a design online for free and yes, so, exactly. Much, and we were, much easier, much more accessible now. Yeah, we were doing that the old school way, snail mail way. Um, and it's so much easier now because everybody is on Facebook and you just you post it incessantly on Facebook over and over and over. Just make sure everybody sees it. So it's just a lot easier. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by W Energy. W Energy is an energy drink you mix at home from a tub. It helps you focus, it helps you concentrate, it helps you win. W is a lot like these other energy drink mix companies you see, but it's better. They have better flavors, they have better taste, they have better products. You can get Dragonade, you can get Galaxy Grenade, you can get Dub Sludge, and so many more great flavors like Beach and Peach. Once you have the powder to make one of these flavors, you can also get one of W's own shaker cups to make your drinks at home. If energy drinks aren't your thing, no worries. You can get products like stickers and clothing that look awesome. If you just want to try out Dubby, you can go ahead and get one of their starter packs. It comes with a shaker cup and three flavors. On top of that, any products you get on any order from Dubby, you can save 10% by using my discount code HEROIC. That's just my name, HEROIC, in all caps. One more time, that's code HEROIC at W.GG for 10% off any order go focus go concentrate go in be better dubby kind of shifting focus back to the musical you're working on yeah. uh you know with you know creating so much music were there any inspirations you kind of looked for to sort of help you get ideas come up with songs and you know if there were how did you sort of balance that inspiration and make sure you kept your own unique style on it. Yeah, so I, I think I said earlier that 
for the first two years, it was kind of collecting material. And a lot of it was looking back through all our old rehearsal footage tapes because we taped everything that we did. And mm-hmm. I, would, I literally listened, I can't, I don't even know how many hours. I would just listen through these rehearsals and be like, oh, wow, completely forgot about that. And I would cut it down and we used Dropbox to share everything. And I made a new Dropbox folder and I list, I had about 20 ideas from old just rehearsal stuff that we never fully completed or finished. So it's just sort of unfinished material. So that was a lot of it. Uh, in iTunes, when I'm listening, it's on shuffle, or if I hear just hear something anywhere, a co- even a TV commercial could, could pique my interest, and I'll just record a voice memo of it, or if it's a song that I could get on iTunes or Spotify, what have you. I created a playlist on iTunes just called Musical Songs, and there were about eight or ten of those where I was like, I want something that sounds like this. This, this, this feel and the, the timbre of this and the, the song just feels like it would be perfect for this one scene in the show. And so I would I had about eight or ten of those. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And so you would sort of go for just, you know, general sounds or feelings for songs rather than, you know, trying. To, yeah. Yeah. OK. There's a sort of a there's some idea that's happening in each scene. It could be a dialogue, a very dialogue oriented scene. It could be someone just singing about an emotion. It could be, you know, action happening, whatever it is, right? There's a, there's a comedy thing in there, like a comedic song. Um, and whatever it is, you know, when you hear music, you get a feeling. And so, I needed to collect 46 of these feelings and figure out the exact perfect one. And so the inspiration came from all those different areas, like different songs. Uh, and in no way did I um, plagiarize any material, but yeah. like the idea of a song, like I love the way this feels and it just kind of puts you in the right mindset. And then you kind of have your own version, um, your the influence, on your own version of it. And then a lot of it was just my own material, old material that Drumfish did, like I said, um, unfinished material and finished material that we actually put out and published, but was recrafted and lyrics to change, structures to change, that kind of stuff. But was just like, oh, this, there's a fight in the scene. I already wrote that song. And so I just took the song and we redid the lyrics. Yeah, you sort of right fitted in um, better for the situation in the musical yeah and then the other thing was just new stuff and like i said every time i sat down on the piano or on a guitar i would just be playing and be like oh that's really good and i would I'd take out the voice memo on my phone and record it and i had something like 125 of those <laughs> over the like the <laughs> three years from 2017 to 2020 so there was lots of different stuff kind of influencing the entire work. Yeah. And, and then of course, musicals that I like, right. I I've become a theater nerd. I'm very well versed in that whole area of musical theater now. And of course that is an influence as well. Like there's something in musical theater. Like when you see a show, there's something called the 11 o'clock number. And it's called that because um, it's it kind of hit right around 11 o'clock where the musical would start and it's getting kind of towards the end and you need some big number towards yeah. the end of the show. So it's called the 11 o'clock number. And so like clearly I'm influenced by that as well. So I need to have my 11 o'clock number, right? Um, you know, if you listen to a show like Les Mis and you hear a song like Master of the House, which is an unbelievable song. It's a comedy song. It's amazing. And you're like, okay, how are these people like interacting with each other? They're swapping lines back and forth. How is that happening? Like I did an entire analysis of Les Mis and of Hamilton to just Mm -hmm. analyze like each song, 
what's happening in the song? Is it a dialogue song? Is it a is it a I is it a someone talking about an emotion? Is it someone experiencing something? Like and I analyzed all the shows that way as well. So those things clearly influenced all the material too. Yeah, and you you don't have to go into too much detail, but do you think you've sort of found an 11 o'clock number for this musical that you're working on? Yeah. Yeah, I have yeah. one. I, and I've had this show reviewed by a number of people and have gotten those kind of comments. I, one guy I really, really have a lot of respect for. I was a music composition major in college, and so was he. And we were in the same classes together in the same program. And we're still good friends to this day. And I've had him review the show multiple times throughout the process. And um, so he's made a lot of comments about that, those kind of things that I was just talking about. And there's a song called um, I Quit. And he his comment for that song was, um, this, this is a song Oh, oh, his his comment was, Larry has seen a musical or 200. This is the exact perfect song at the exact perfect moment in the show. Those were his words. And, then, you know, that's very flattering to hear um, when you hear that. But, yeah, so I feel like I have. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's awesome. And, you know, I, I'm sure having... 40 some songs that you were talking about earlier in the musical i'm sure you know you you worked on each one you tried to get them the best but i mean you can correct me if i'm wrong but i'm sure there are some songs you liked more than others have has there been sort of a song that you know you weren't thrilled about at the start but you've kind of started to like and started to sort of fall in love with since working on it yeah there's kind of i kind of have two thoughts on that um one when I first wrote the original outline, there were probably almost half of the show was reused drumfish material. Mm-hmm. And as I was going through the show, I was like, no, this was okay. This is like a, this is like a seven or eight out of ten. I want I want the ten out of ten. And so songs would get cut. And new songs would replace it. That happened. It's already happened a lot throughout the process over the years. And even some brand new, brand new written songs have been in place and then cut. So that's yeah. happened a lot. One other thing that's that's kind of interesting, that when you when you asked me, that made me think of there's a song on the show called Mask. And we we have an entire scratch version of the show, which is just me sitting in the basement playing a guitar and piano and singing the song so that we can hear it and like and hear it flow and everything like that. And in the scratch version, I felt like it was it was a really good solid song, but never was like one of the ones that stood out to me. But then once I started scoring the show, now that that song's been scored, the way it came out in the score once we've got the full blown orchestra. It might be my favorite. The, yeah, the, the yeah. transformation from just the guitar and the voice to now having the 10 piece orchestra is pretty awesome. Like all the uh, string lines and stuff like that, just love it. So, yeah, that has happened too. Yeah. And, you know, Im- imagining once this play, you know, hopefully gets picked up, it starts being played, being uh, performed all around you know is if you sort of had this magical opportunity where you could pick one theater performer to sort of either help you work on the musical or perform it you know sort of be a lead who would you want that lead to be well i've already done some of that actually uh the show takes place in college so we need college-age singers and lo and behold my son who is a musical theater performer, just started college. He's the perfect age. And he's been in, I, I don't even know how many different theater companies locally here and in New York and multiple high schools, actually. And 
through that, I've gotten to know tons of performers his age, and I have this sort of all-star cast in my in my brain, right? Like, yeah. and we've already reached out and have it mostly cast to do the the cast recording that we're working on, the professionally recorded cast recording we're working on. None of them have sung it yet because it's taking us forever to record it because it's so much material. Yeah. So it's possible we lose some of them by the time we get to that point. But we do have agreements in place for basically the entire cast. And uh, they're all people that I just, I think are awesome. And I think really encapsulate the roles and the characters in the show in a very cool way. And I'm like, man, I really love it if X and X person would do this, I think they'd just be perfect. And so we've asked and pretty much everybody said, yeah, I've shown them the material and everyone just seems to be really impressed by it and wants to be part of the project. Even though we're doing this for free and it's, there's no money involved, they're just all excited to be part of it. So yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, those are all the questions I had for you today. Thank you okay. so much for coming on. It's been a great conversation. Where can people find you online? You know, Facebook, websites, anything like that that you got. Where can people find you? Uh, I don't really have much for the musical yet. So there's no real way for people to interact with that yet. I'm, I'm waiting to sort of launch that until we have this recording done. The Drumfish stuff, my bands can be found... Like I said, there's a Facebook page. If you search for Drumfish, you'll find that there. You can find all the music on Spotify and on iTunes. And I think other places as well, but primarily those are the two that people use, Spotify and iTunes. Um, yeah. For me personally, you know, I've got Facebook. I even have a TikTok where I have some theater type things in there. I don't really use it, but. Uh, I'm just Lawrence France, and if you search on TikTok for Lawrence France, that's me. I'm on Facebook. I have a Twitter and Instagram that I barely use as well, too. But, yeah, if you just search me and you search for Drumfish. Oh, you know what else? There's lots of YouTubes of Drumfish, live performances, and then sort of studio recordings on there as well. Yeah. All right. I'll leave a link to some of that down below. Thank you again so much for coming on. I think it's been a great conversation and I can't wait to see this musical when it hopefully comes out.